0: Investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not so famous
1: cases of murder, ghosts, legends, lore, and you gotta have your healthy dose of debunking.
0: Debunking,
1: <laughs> and <laughs> I'm so pumped for this episode because we're throwing this for a loop. We're doing something a little different today. Yeah, mm, we are. So Kim actually has some really great connections with people. Who knew? <laughs> it was wonderful. We really, really love the connections that Kim can make yeah. and have.
0: This one was me looking up the website, his website, and being like, Hey, <laughs> you want to you wanna talk about
1: your book? <laughs> So that, that was of, that connection that's there. a great connection you know it's Google? a Google con- it There's, was internet connection internet, that's right yes, you know it's yeah. necessary we wouldn't be able to do what we do without it. so that, that is quite
0: true <laughs> uh no what's okay so what's what's funny how this all started is that anytime there is anything, in any manner of like serial killers, ghosts, a new horror film, or whatever, my dad sends me like I get emails from him sometimes that are like, "Grizzly murder happened." Hey Kim, did you see this? I love that. Uh, and they're they're so upbeat. They're so they're so wholesome. Uh, and so my dad had messaged me about this article that ran. Uh, I don't know, it was the Sunday paper or something. It was this whole little feature about Seattle's forgotten serial killer.
1: Ooh. Yeah, I was like, oh, we forgot one. <laughs> we forgot one. There's so many. How did we forget so one? <laughs> did did one get left outside?
0: <laughs> uh, so he he sent me. He said, you know, I'm saving the article for you. I, when you come over, I'll show it to you. But he he put the name of the guy, Gary Jean Grant, and I was like,
1: who who did who
0: who 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 is
1: this? That's an owl. Which, You're an owl. That's, that's what an owl, owl. sounds like. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Who is this? Which for me is saying something. Yeah, that's legit. Like, I truly, I don't think you guys understand that (laughs) Kim Douthit is the Mm. encyclopedia of true crime, horror, ghoulishness, which is why she's (laughs) such a wonderful partner, one of the many reasons. So (laughs) to catch her off guard and say, hey, here's a killer you don't know, the ears will perk uh, my my ears
0: they they perked. Uh, so I go over to my folks' house and and my dad thrust this article at me, and it's it's quite long. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, Dad, this is about a book. Like somebody wrote a book on this, and this this article summarizes the case, but it's about a book somebody wrote. So, of course, the next thing I have to do is 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 the book available? Can I get this book? I need it. Uh, and so we went to uh, Brick and Mortar Books in Redmond, Washington, a fantastic local... Bur- <laughs> a fa- Shut up. <laughs> a fantastic local bookstore. And uh, they, they ordered it. And I was uh, heading to Manzanita and needed some, you know, light, relaxing reading about serial killers. No big deal. And No big deal. And so I, I sat down and, and started reading. And, I, and I'd never heard of anything having to do with this case. And even in the the little preface, you know, the author talks about... There wasn't a lot of stuff out there. I, I googled Gary Jean Grant. He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it possibly does now that this book's been written. I don't know. But, like, at the time, nothing. That's crazy. Absolutely nothing. So... I read the book and and on a whim because the author, Cloyd Steiger, he's local. So I was like, oh, maybe he would want <laughs> to talk about this. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I went on his website uh, and the rest is history. So uh, let me give you a quick kind of synopsis. This is, this is literally me reading from the back of the book because I'm classy like that. <laughs> Uh, In 1969, the body of a young woman was discovered in the woods of Renton, rocking the communities along Puget Sound. Three more brutal murders followed, drawing the attention of multiple police agencies as they tried to piece together the meager clues left behind. The seemingly unrelated cases challenged detectives who struggled to realize they were all connected to one man, Gary Jean Grant. Before the term serial killer was even coined, Grant stalked his prey, destroying lives and families while walking unseen among the masses. Decades later, his crimes have all but been forgotten. So I was fortunate enough to uh, be able to interview the author, uh, homicide investigator, police detective. Uh, He worked for 22 years as a homicide detective, Cloyd Steiger and uh, here is the interview. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have Cloyd Steiger. Uh, Now, you worked with the Seattle PD for 36 years. Right. And 22 of those years was as a homicide detective, which were... That's hearing some that's right they're playing my song (laughs) it's very appropriate they knew you were coming (laughs) that's right uh did you did you always want to be a police officer
2: oh no only since I was like 10 so
0: (laughs) (laughs) not straight out of the womb yeah not right
2: out of the womb no (laughs) I I decided when I was 10 years old that's what I wanted to do and I specifically wanted to do worked for the Seattle Police Department. I grew up in the area. Actually, I sent them a letter when I was 12 telling them I wanted to work for them. And they sent me back a bunch of neat stuff. So, but. um Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and, and then I just, you know, read all the books in my elementary school library about being a policeman, then junior high and high school, and then went to school and, uh, majored in criminal justice. And then when I was 20 and a half, I called the Seattle Police Department and said, are you hiring? Because that's the minimum age you have to be. And they said, yeah. And they sent me a test packet. I went and tested along with about 2,000 other people. But they hired me. And so I was—I got started the police academy right around my 21st birthday. And that's where it was. And I spent 36 years there. Oh, wow. That's, that's
0: remarkable. <laughs> uh, do you, did you have any, any particularly memorable cases you can recall being involved in? Oh my God.
2: <laughs> That's why I wrote the first book. Cause people ask me that all the time. And the first book is about some of the more interesting cases I worked. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, I handled, I worked on, if you're, if you're in the Seattle area and you know of a notorious murder, it, there's a good chance I was either primary or worked on it in some level. I mean, I worked at Cafe Eraser. I was a primary oh. Christopher Montfort case. I was on, uh, there's a gypsy murder case that happened in the North End that uh, it's been on two and it's soon to be three uh, true crime shows on TV. And then uh God, what else? Jeez. Um, and just so many things, you know, yeah. they're all they all kind of blend together for me. Shannon Harps, who was murdered up on uh, Capitol Hill. I was probably oh, in that. Wow. You know? And so all those things, it's just like, yeah, all those
0: Oh, wow. That, we might be calling you back for some future yeah, episode. Sure. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's what you said. You've written another book, Homicide, The View from Inside the Yellow Tape, which uh, was about your time as right. a homicide detective.
2: Exactly, right. Uh,
0: and now you work with cold cases.
2: Right, I do.
0: Uh, what are some of the major differences working with a, a cold case versus an active case?
2: Well, one of one of the biggest differences is I'm not actively working the case. I'm more of a consultant mm-hmm. who I, we, I, we look at the case files, uh, see where the things need to be done, and make recommendations to the agency and provide them with resources if they need them. And and that's and that's a different. I mean, I'm not out there knocking on doors or doing any of that stuff.
0: Right, doing it's the legwork like that. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'm not I'm not getting called at one o'clock in the morning anymore, Ooh. and I'm not working thirty hour work days anymore, but it's just it's more of a consulting and trying to share my expertise with uh agencies or detectives that may not have worked that many murders and feel mm-hmm. a little stuck and they, they ask for help and we try to provide them with help
0: oh that's great, so getting to your current book, your new book, Seattle's Forgotten Serial Killer, Gary Jean Grant. Uh, you look at the four murders committed by Gary Jean Grant from 1969
2: to 1971.
0: Right. And I'll fully admit, like, I I do, you know, a true crime tour in the area. I'm very well versed in all of the local serial killers. I had never heard of him.
2: Neither did I. That's why I call it the Forgotten <laughs> Serial Killer, because I, you know, and I know, all the major crime scenes, and I know all the serial, not all, but I mean, the vast majority of serial killers that have operated in this area. And uh, what happened is I got an email from a guy after I wrote my first book saying, what do you know about Gary Grant? He killed some kids and some teenagers in Renton in the 1960s and 70s. I went, I don't know anything about Gary Grant. I never heard of him. So I did a little research and Ended up uh, calling the prosecutor's office to a friend of mine there and said, hey, do you guys have a court file on this? And they, let me get back to you. And they go, yeah, we do. And I said, can I borrow it? And they said, sure. So I went and got it and I scanned all like 2,500 pages of it. Mm -hmm. And I just had it. And then uh, like three weeks later, I get contacted by History Press. Hey, we're looking for cold case. um, I mean, not cold case, excuse me. We're looking for true crime books that are 20 or more years old. Uh, Do you have anything like that? And I just went, well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> because they heard, they said, oh, we saw you wrote your first book and it's doing really well. So we'd like you to maybe write a book about it. So they sent me a form to a proposal form. I sent it back to them. They said, write the book. And I did. And that's what it was about.
0: And that's how that happened. That's the, how it
2: happened. Yeah. The, I'd never heard of them either, but I learned a lot about them during my uh, research. And I went out yeah. to all the scenes and stuff and, and talked to a lot of the old detectives and the old trial court judge who's still alive. And, uh, Chris Bailey, who was a King County prosecutor at the time, elected King County prosecutor, Mm -hmm. one of the two prosecutors in the trial who I already knew because he was still at the prosecutor's office when I was at Seattle PD because he was a brand new prosecutor when this happened. Mm -hmm. And then uh, another one who had passed away just a year before, but his son, who was also a prosecutor and as a private attorney, had a lot of information about this case. So they were really helpful. And that's and that's how I researched it.
0: Oh, that's great. Uh, and the the first murder happened December of 1969.
2: Right. And
0: that predates, I mean, like, we think of some of the, the big ones in the area, your Bundys, your Ridgeway, uh, even like Randy Woodfield. Right. Um, th- this was something... Way before them. Yeah, and and was the police department at the time, were they prepared for these kinds of killings?
2: Not even. I mean, this was... Renton police had five detectives on the whole police department when this happened. And, you know, and five? they didn't, five was the total number of detectives on the entire police department when this happened. And as you can imagine, they didn't do a lot of murders. They did, you oh. know, burglaries, thefts, uh, you know, maybe sex crimes. Yeah. And then, uh, I did get a murder about every three or four years, one murder, and it was usually a smoking gun murder, mm-hmm. which is basically, you know, the guy's caught right away or you're, it's obvious who it is right away. And it's just a matter of getting the right paperwork together to send to the prosecutor's office. It's not really an in-depth investigation. So when this happened, they were behind the eight ball because they recognized it was, you know, a big case.
0: Yeah.
2: And they, had, and they really had no idea how to handle it at first. But, and, you know, they, they stumbled a little bit, but they, but they, in the end, did a really good job.
0: Yeah. Well, and the the murders primarily happened in the the Renton area, right? Uh, yeah. Which uh, is is a little outside Seattle, and. Uh, at the time was, was quite small of an area. It was area. very small.
2: It was like population at 10,000. And mm-hmm. the reason the book is called Seattle's Forgotten Serial Killers is because the publisher wanted to name that because somebody in Peoria, Illinois, has no idea what Renton is. So. <laughs>
0: <know>. <laughs> Unless that's they really right. know like <laughs> Boeing. They're like... Right,
2: yeah, well, that's it. That's it, Boeing <laughs> or Jimi Hendrix, you know? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right, because he's buried in there. But So that's the, uh, that was the thing. And they, they were Renton. They were investigated by the Renton Police Department by itself on the first one. Mm-hmm. The King County Sheriff's Office on the second one, and then the two boys started out with the King County Sheriff, but ended up being Renton police.
0: So the the first murder was Carol Erickson, right? Uh, take us through a little bit of what uh, what exactly happened. What how how it all led up to that?
2: Carol uh, lived with a roommate in a little bungalow kind of right in downtown Renton, off of Airport Way, and uh, she was going to what was then called Renton Vocational College, which is Renton Voc Tech now. And she was taking culinary arts and it was near the end of the of the semester. She had a final and she was supposed to write a uh, paper on certain uh, foreign foods or something like that. So she only lived like five blocks from the Renton Library, which was pretty new back then. And she walked to the library that evening or that afternoon when she got home from school. She left there about five o'clock, I think, left a note for a roommate. I went to the library and uh, she never came back and, mm. you know, overnight. And then the next morning, some people, a guy looking at the Cedar River to try, to look for fishing conditions, came across her nude body. Mm. What had happened is she hadn't walked city streets. She'd walked down um, to she made it to the library, first of all. Mm-hmm. People saw her there and she actually wrote a letter to an old friend who was in the military from the library talking about being at the library and about the route she took there, which was along the river at that time. It was just a muddy trail right along the Cedar River with Scotch Broom. Now it's, of course, all paved and lighted. It's a, you know, promenade. But uh, somebody came up behind her and attacked her, stabbed her, strangled her, and sexually assaulted her.
1: Mm. And
2: then drug her body off to the side and left it there. Mm.
0: And the, the next victim was Joanne uh, Zuloff.
2: Zuloff, right. Zuloff. So Joanne lived up on the, uh, if you go up Sunset, all the way up to the top, um, mm-hmm. kind of almost like oh, you're going out toward, uh, black, I mean, uh, oh, my gosh, my mind just blanked. <laughs> 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 anyway, south of Be- Bellevue. But anyway. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she lived kind of in that what was a pretty new residential area at that time and she was there at home on a Sunday afternoon and her parents had been out messing around doing something during the day and it was a nice day and they came back home and they were going to make dinner she says I'm going to go for a walk I'll be back in about a half hour so she left her house a neighbor outside her house saw her walk by his house and then go down a trail which is to a big wooded area at that time, now most of that's been developed. There are houses there, mm-hmm. but she walked into this wooded area, and again, she didn't come home. And the parents, of course, they were freaking out. They were calling all her friends. Have you seen? Her? She was supposed to go bike riding with a different friend that afternoon, so they were looking for. Her. They didn't know they were. They called the police, but the police, the sheriff's office at that time, the dispatcher said, "Oh, she'll probably be back. If she doesn't get home by tomorrow, right. give us a call." Yeah, which of course was a big problem. Although it would have made no difference in this case, right? Um, so the next day you know, 24 hours after she left, a sheriff's deputy finally came to her house. He recognized that this wasn't good. This isn't a runaway. So he did a great job, but he started organizing a, a, a big search and mm-hmm. uh, got search dogs out there. And about midnight that the next night, um, off the trail, they found her. She'd been uh, strangled, hit with an object, a blunt force object and head strangled and also sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. and was drug off the path where she was. So that was the second one. That was the second one. Course, they had no, they, what, there were two different agencies here,
0: right? Because uh, yeah. she was killed unincorporated King County. Right. King County
2: she? at the time. Yeah. It's it's now where she was killed is now in the city of Renton, but it wasn't right. then. And you know, and the the other one happened in Renton. Mm-hmm. To the detective, one of the detectives in the Zuloff case, to his credit, he brought up the Carol Erickson cases. You know, Renton had that girl get killed. We should touch base with them, and they did touch base, but. You know, they had nothing to sh- show they were related. Right. So uh, that case went on. And, and again, they, they like it happens in all these whodunit cases, you spend a lot of time going down blind alleys and going nowhere and have to come all the way back. And yeah. most of the stuff you do in the early days has really nothing to do with your murder, but you don't know it at the time. So you yeah, just yeah. keep doing it. Yeah.
0: And you don't want to leave any of those avenues. No, no, you have to go down them. You have to go down them.
2: Yeah. Because what if it's the right one? You know, you don't know if it's the right one or the wrong one until you get to a point where you hear some information. You know, that little piece that somebody tells you that clicks off that nobody else Mm -hmm. would know. Mm -hmm. That's what you're looking for. The Mm. first, I call it the first domino. You know, you got your dominoes all set up and something happens to push over that first domino. And when it does, everything else falls in place. Now, if it's not the right domino, it might fall, two or three might fall, but it'll stop. Right. That that's, means you're not in the right trail. Yeah. You have to go back. So you got to make sure once once the first domino falls, they all fall, right in order. Everything starts falling into place. It's like click 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 click. Everywhere you go, next to fall that fits. Everywhere you go, fall. Mm-hmm. It. If it doesn't fit, there's a problem.
0: I like that's a good analogy. I like
2: that. Yeah. I always called it when I was working. Let's knock over the first domino. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And see if you're (laughs) going to find the right domino. You got to find the right one. Yeah. Just because you think it's the right domino doesn't mean it's the right domino. It doesn't
0: mean it's going to go to the whole path. Yeah. That's
2: right. That's why detectives have to be they can't, some detectives, I've seen this before, bad detectives actually, decide what the answer is and only look for evidence that supports their thesis. Yeah. You know, if you're, you can have a working theory when you first start out, Mm -hmm. but you have to be humble enough to realize if the evidence doesn't fit that. It's the wrong theory. You have to go yeah. back and find a different one.
0: And that the wrong theory is going to happen.
2: Oh, all the time. It happens all okay.
0: the time. Just about every case. <laughs> yeah.
2: Just about every whodunit case.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, what was interesting is his first two kills were two young women. They were, right. uh, I think, 17. Joanne was 17. Right. And, and Carol was 19. 19, yeah. But then the next two victims were two little boys.
2: Right. To six-year-olds.
0: 2 six-year-olds, to six-year-olds, right? That's a shift.
2: Yeah, but the, the, the difference is the victim isn't isn't the MO. It is it's okay. the circumstances. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a particular victim uh, uh, victimology he was looking for. He would just walk in the woods, and if he came across somebody, he would kill them. Mm-hmm. And every one of these cases has similarities. If you go back and you know, in hindsight, look back, mm-hmm. all were blitz attacks. Stabbing or strangling or both. Um, he always drugged the victims off the trail to someplace else
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, and lined them up or something. And he it was always a sexual element to it. In the boys' case, they were both found nude. They were covered with brush so as not to be found easily, but they were both found nude. Mm-hmm. And he denied he, he said he thought about sexually touching them but didn't, but I'm sure he was lying about that. Right, right. Yeah.
0: One, and there was uh, someone arrested. The two boys, Bradley Lyons and Scott Andrews. Someone was arrested for right. the murders, and it was not. Yeah, that was
2: the first big twist. Yeah, <laughs> not only was he arrested, he was charged. Yeah, with their murders, formally charged, because he was uh, kind of a he was a he was not a stupid man. He was actually very well educated. He had a degree from Columbia University and had mm-hmm. been a teacher. But he, was, he had mental issues, and mm-hmm. he, sh- he happened to show up at Valley Medical Center, Valley General Hospital back then, mm-hmm. the night the boys went missing and checked himself in as a psych patient, telling the doctor that he had this feeling like he was going to hurt children. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until a few days later when the doctor who saw him, the ER doctor, uh, his wife mentioned they still haven't found those little boys. Yeah. And he started thinking about, oh, my gosh. Maybe that guy came in. Maybe it's him. So he went. Right. He had to figure out if he could legally report it because of doctor-patient privilege. They found a uh, exception to the rule. He called the police. The police zeroed in on him. And the thing that's key about this, t- about false confessions, because he did confess to the crimes. Mm-hmm. It was a false confession. And the, right. and the thing you got to know is, when he, um, when he first was talked about the case, he said, I, I don't think I did that. I don't know anything about it. I, I just don't know. And they sent him to Harborview mm-hmm. overnight. And the next day when they brought him, he knew all about the case and could tell him all the details. Well, when I was researching this, I found out the reason was because everything was in the, the Seattle Times. All the information was oh. released. That's why you don't ever do that. Right. You don't ever do that. You leave stuff out so only the killer could tell you. And he would just regurgitating stuff he read in the paper. Right. And, and, you know, the detectives, they didn't know any better. They just, right. you know, and then the prosecutor charged him. They thought he was their guy. They hadn't connected this case to the other two cases. These are all yeah. individual cases as far as they were concerned. Right. But, you know, it, it, that's why that's why it's really, really important not to, to release everything to the press. Mm-hmm. I, I had a murder case one time of a girl that was found nude uh, off the side of the road, mm-hmm. actually on Seafair Race Day, just off the race course. Oh. Yeah, yeah a few, several oh. years ago. And she was... Found there dumped, obviously not killed there because their Mm -hmm. lividity pattern was incorrect for the Mm -hmm. way she was laying. Anyway, and one thing she had was on her back, she had a like a little remnant of a lawn and garden bag, one of those green lawn and garden bags, trash bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And of course, you know, I saw that and we look at that. She's probably been in a garden, lawn and garden bag. Well, we got a lot of tips because it was a big media case because it was right by the seafarer races. Right. And all the media was there. So a lot of tips, and none of them, Sounded right. But then I got a call the next day from a girl who said my friend was at a family party and her uncle was telling everybody that his friend had a girl's body in a garbage bag. <laughs> and of course, ding, 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 ding. Right. Whoops. Sorry. How would anybody know about that? There goes my microphone. How would anybody know about that garbage bag? You know, it wasn't in the press. Right. It you know, wasn't that in the soul, press. And that, you know, that call was at nine o'clock in the morning. And by six o'clock the next morning, I had somebody in custody, had a confession basically, and, and it was all over because I worked all through the night because that's the way it happens. Once that first domino, you know, when the dominoes Correct. are falling, you can't say, stop here, I'm going home. It doesn't Right, work. right. No, you got to see it through. Out. Yeah, you got to see it. If that means you're at work 12 hours, if it means you're at work 24 hours. If, mm-hmm. if you're at work 30 hours, you got to right. do it. You
1: gotta and that's what
2: it happens. Through. Yeah. That's the nature of the beast.
0: I, I always uh, marvel at the people who openly brag about the fact that they have a body in a bag somewhere.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, this guy wasn't the killer, but he had information about it. And boy, when I, once I picked him up, and he had a warrant for his arrest, luckily a misdemeanor warrant, and he was shaking in his boots. And mm-hmm. when I started telling him what this was about and i told him he was done if he didn't tell me the truth so he spilled it all out <laughs> you know about the guy who he was where he lived and right that right. was a weird that that was a weird house because we went to the house and he lived in the basement with his mother up up and it was like the movie seven <laughs> right it was so weird he had bottles and jars of piss all oh. around because he would just pee in them rather than go upstairs to use the bathroom it's a lot and of it, work yeah well, it, it involved, <laughs> that got involved in the case and his statement about what happened too it was it was uh, pretty amazing. Oh, anyway, wow. I digress, but I digress.
0: That's an interesting digression, <laughs> <It is>. though. <laughs> yeah.
2: But I'm just saying that's the importance of leaving something out and then not telling. When the Christopher Monfort case happened... Mm-hmm. Um, about a week, uh, not week. It wasn't week. Didn't take. It was like so. It happened on Sunday, like Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I get a call from Susanna Frame at King Five, mm-hmm. and she says, "Cloyd, you got to give me something. Give me, give me something that I can put out that will help you find this guy." And I said, "I can't do it. Yeah, because anything I say to you, I'm whispering right into the ear of the killer. Yeah, and it'll affect his behavior. If I'm way off, he'll relax.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right, but if I'm close." he'll be nervous and he might make a mistake. Yeah. That's why I can't do it. It wasn't anything that I have anything against the news covering these things oh, and no, stuff. That's their yeah. job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, we have different, different goals here. Mine's yeah. to solve the case. Mm-hmm. theirs is to report the case. So mm-hmm. again, I'm not going to do anything that's gonna, going to going uh, to jeopardize the case.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, so at the, at the time then someone else had been arrested. Right. how, how did did, did uh, Gary Grant then even come on the radar to, well, to be a suspect or to be a person this, involved?
2: This is a perfect example of doing good work because the mm-hmm. detectives didn't stop working the case, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they, wanted, uh, they decided, or the captain actually, who ended up being a notorious figure in the case later, made a good decision. He says, we're going to get to search and rescue people up there and look for the knife. Mm-hmm. And so they had, you know, they have these... Uh, search and rescue people that all go shoulder to shoulder, do evidence searches. They do it all the time. And some 18 year old kid in the brush, not far from the boys' bodies found a big knife and mm. they got that knife. It had, it had uh, electrical tape wrapped around the handle of it. So they took the knife and took it at that time. They used the Seattle police lab. So they took it down to the Seattle police lab downtown and uh, gave it to a guy I knew too, Kay Sweeney, who was a criminalist for a long time. And I worked with him too on cases, but he, they gave it to him. And he was trying to get see if he could find fingerprints on the knife on on the tape. When he got all the tape off, he saw that there was a name etched in the handle.
0: Ah. So
2: <laughs> that they want to know. They're, well, they're thinking, how's this? How does this go to our guy who's who's charged, right?
0: Right, right. But
2: so they found out that the guy whose name was in was in there was in the Marines. He was at basic training. Uh, he couldn't be the killer, but mm-hmm. he was coming back to town like in a couple days. So when he came back, he came in for an interview, and he told them what happened to the to the knife oh yeah i gave it to this guy or sold it to this guy um blah 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 and they say, well where's he at? well i know he doesn't have any more because he gave it to this other kid and they talk about this 14 year old kid they gave it, that he gave it to mm-hmm. so they started looking into that kid well he went to mcknight junior high at that time middle school now mm-hmm. and so they decided to go down there and see him and when they, they brought him in and were talking to him and they said, and remember getting this knife? And they go, Oh, yeah, yeah, I had that knife. And he says, oh, he got, it. he was really cooperative. And they said, where's the knife now? He goes, oh, well, I was, he lived, this kid lived in a trailer park on, uh, in Renton along Lake Washington, which is now across the street from Mulan park. There's million dollar condos there now, but it was a trailer. Of course. Park, you know? <laughs> yeah. So he, he, uh, he said, uh, I was in a truck with my buddy. He lives in the park, trailer park too. And I left my knife there. And he says, I called this guy and, and asked him for a knife he said his dad found it in the truck and has it in his bedroom and he better not he can't go get it out of his dad's bedroom and they go who's the guy and he goes, Oh, gary grant so that's how they first got to gary well with the story about the dad having the knife they started looking into the the dad his name was glenn okay and They found out he'd one time been a pierce county sheriff's deputy for a short period of time but he worked as a residential security officer mm. you know, in those private little cars that go around residents or to your subscription service. Mm-hmm. And they thought, boy, those boys, if they saw him, they probably would have gotten in the car thinking he's a policeman. We should go talk to him. And they were, they were talking to Glenn when uh, in the apartment, um, excuse me, in the trailer. And Glenn said, I don't know anything about any of I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Gary had pulled up in the truck outside. And I, I should have said, first of all, by the boy's body, there was real fine dirt.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And there was a really clear shoe print in the dirt. And they cast it and got it out. Well, one of the detectives, Jim Fallon, went out to talk to Gary and to keep him out away from his dad. And he said, Why don't you have a seat in my car? And Gary jumped in. And when his foot went up, he looked down and he goes, That's the pattern of the shoe print by the boy's body. Uh. So he went in and got, got his, uh, his partner, Wally Hume, and said, Let's get out of here. Said, what? Come on. We got to go. We got to go. And then they, so they took Gary downtown, started talking about, uh, what was going on, asked him if he they could see his shoes. He gave him his shoes. They compared it to the, uh, to the cast they had. It, mm-hmm. You know, it looked identical. Of course, shoes are only class evidence. Right. You can't say, the only way you can say a shoe print is the exact same shoe is if there are multiple little marks in it or something right. or defects. They carve their match.
0: name or something. Yeah, into or something it. like that.
2: But the pattern, I mean, they make thousands and thousands of those oh, yeah. shoes, right? Yeah. So, but that's, that's, a good i mean that's a good thing you've got him linked through the knife and now the shoe print mm-hmm. so they wanted to take him downtown they did well they do what i see a lot of inexperienced people do is rely way too heavily on the polygraph and polygraph everybody and if they pass they go oh he's he's he passed the polygraph he's eliminated yeah well you know uh, uh ted bundy passed polygraphs. Yeah. Gary ridgeway passed polygraphs yeah. uh, uh what's his name the guy in uh Milwaukee Jeffrey Dahmer passed a.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Polygraphs uh, are not reliable. They're not. They're not.
2: not, I mean, they're they're a tool,
0: right? But they're
2: not the end-all, say seal. Mm -hmm. So, matter of fact, I tell people they ask me about that. In my entire time of polygraph uh, homicide, I probably had three people take the polygraph that entire time out of hundreds of murders, and those three were witnesses, not suspects, Mm -hmm. just to see if they were lying to me. Is what I thought, or use that as a thing to say they were lying to me. So, Mm -hmm. anyway. they bring him downtown to Seattle Police because they didn't have a polygraph. And the guy who was the polygraph operator, it was like four or five o'clock the afternoon, he'd gone for the day. His name was Dewey Gillespie. He was kind of a local pioneer in polygraphs. He was really hmm. matter of fact. When he retired, I didn't know this guy. He was gone long before I got there. When he retired, he started a private polygraph company that's still in business, but he's oh, he's wow. passed away. So um, and he uh, they brought and they finally you know said called well he'll be back by like seven. So they said, why don't you take him out and get him something to eat? So they drove, actually drove up to the Jack in the Box that used to be at Broadway and John in Seattle <laughs> and They sat in there and ate, And they talked about everything in the world, but not the case. Right. And then uh, Dewey Gillespie was a good polygraph operator because the difference is when he brought him back and Dewey was there, they took him in the office and Dewey just, they asked, there's always a pre-interview to a polygraph.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And Dewey started asking some questions. He didn't even have him hooked to the machine. When, and the question he was asking, Elson and Gary started crying a few minutes later, the door opened. Dewey went out and he told them he just confessed to killing the two boys. So they're like, "Oh my god!" So they take him out. The detectives out in another office, and they record. They take a uh, recorded statement from him about the boys' murders, where he's in very much detail. The problem is they had a new tape recorder, and ninety percent of what they recorded did not record. Because oh, no. <laughs> all the stuff that didn't record was the stuff they really needed. All the, they got the, you know, the intros and all that stuff and stuff afterwards. So they had to go back and paraphrase the statement, and he signed it. But uh, then, uh, so Dewey comes out again and says, let me talk to him one more time. So he takes him into the office, and he's sitting there at the table, and, and Dewey just looks at him and says, I'm thinking about a girl in a river. And Grant goes, did she have long, dark hair? Was she stabbed? Mm-hmm. And then he starts talking about Carol Erickson. And in the middle of it, he starts saying she had kind of reddish hair and a bob. And he starts talking about Joanne Sulov just spontaneously. Spontaneously. And all that's, yeah, all, all Dewey did was suggest the girl by the river. Right. He didn't say anything else. And then, so, and then, of course, he went on. Now she just confessed to Carol Erickson. So they took the confession to Carol Erickson's case. And then they called the King County Sheriff's um, detective who... Uh, who was handling the zulov case who coincidentally I went to high school with his daughter oh. but, <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, and, and took that case and that and that was would have been the end but <laughs> there were other issues
0: <laughs> well there is uh, yeah the some of the stuff with the taping and, yeah. and all that which uh, again people should buy the books so they can yeah, get
2: all get of any, the details yeah, there, are, there are, let me but there are some there are some things that happened after that that jeopardized the entire case and he could have walked free as a serial killer and would certainly have killed more. He may have killed more we don't know about. I mean, I don't know.
0: That 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 actually was going to be my question. He he confessed to these, but do you think it is possible? I
2: think it's likely. Yeah. Because I know there are I know there are missing girls. I know there are partial skeletal remains found up east of in the Maple Valley area or Mm. over the years in the 70s and stuff. So um, I don't know if he did those, but I think he'd certainly be someone you should look at
0: when he was quite young when he was arrested. Yeah.
2: Well, he was 18 when he did the first one. So, and 20 when he did the last two, he 20 was, when yeah, he did. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So, so it, he was just, yeah, he just, he would, was just matter, starting. Well, he would just, he would just lurk and he wandered. Uh, uh, matter of fact, one of the detectives who said he lived out in Kennydale. And he Mm -hmm. didn't know Gary Grant, but he'd seen him before. He goes, that guy walks by my house all the time, you know, and he Mm. just wandered. He lived kind of right in Renton, but he would wander. He had access to his dad's truck sometimes, but he would wander miles and he'd walk through the woods, you know. It reminds me of a serial killer I investigated who would say, the woods are dark and the woods are deep. Miles to travel before I sleep.
0: Uh
2: (laughs) (laughs) That was a real one, too.
0: (laughs) And and those kinds of of killers I find in some ways so much scarier because...
1: It is
2: just Yeah. Well I tell people, real serial killers don't look like Hannibal Lecter. If they did, they'd be easy to avoid, right? Right. They look like they look like your neighbor down the street, maybe your mailman, Mm -hmm. the deacon at your church, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) those kind of guys. That's who you're looking that's who a serial killer is. They're just they just on the surface look like normal people. Right. But they're not you know that's their like
0: they don't wear so. signs that advertise No, him. they
2: don't wear I by Gary Ridgway, you know, he oh. would drive in his truck and have a picture of his young son on the dash yeah. <laughs> so the prostitutes would go oh he's just a dad, he's not dangerous and he was kind of yeah. a wimpy looking guy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, yeah, I mean that's the that's what real serial, serial killers look like. They don't look like, you know, de- boogeyman hiding in the bush or anything like mm-hmm. that.
0: It'd be a lot more convenient if they did.
2: <laughs> yeah, it would be. It'd be easy for me and easy for the victims to avoid.
0: <laughs> uh, now You know, we do have, as you said, you know, Ridgeway Bundy. We have all of these serial killers in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Why is it you think that this one never really got a lot of attention? Because I even tried to find a Wikipedia page on him and I couldn't find one. Nothing.
2: The only thing you'll find if you run his name is um, several years ago, Levi Polkinen, who's a friend of mine, he used to work for the uh, CLPI. He wrote a feature called Serial Killers from Washington. Mm -hmm. And Gary is on there with about and everyone with a picture and like three lines and, and that's about where they did. But you know, it's not, but that's all, all you'll ever find. There was yeah. a book, uh, I I cited in my book. I referenced it in the uh, prologue actually, I believe I forgot the woman's name. She's a Canadian and she wrote a book on serial killers and she happened to find Gary through that same article and mm-hmm. started writing him. And she, you know, some of those things he said to her, I cite in the end of the book, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, yeah, he's, uh, there's, there's very little about well. One of the reasons is, first of all, nobody, nobody. The term serial killer was invented, but it wasn't widely right. used, right? Right, right. Nobody, there wasn't the fascination with serial killers than there is now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So it just kind of was just murders. You know, He's, yeah. he killed four people. It just you know, that's nobody. It just kind of went that way. So it just that's, and, that's then that's then a thing. and then and then disappeared. He and went then, to prison. Know, and yeah, and you know, but unfortunately left behind is four families that were devastated. Yeah, and you know, never got over. Matter. I heard from one of the one of the boys' sisters mm. after that article came out. And, you know, she wasn't real thrilled about the about her brother being remembered that way. But I said, your brother deserves to be remembered. And yeah. so do the other victims. Because otherwise, they're just thrown in the hash, tr- uh, trash heap of history, right? Yeah. There, some people need to know their names, that they were victims, they were people at one time. Yeah. And the families, you know, said her mother died young because she never got over it. And, oh. you know, no mother ever gets over that. No. Losing a little kid, like, even, you know, even... The, the older kids, and I mean, 17, 19, you don't get over that either. No. I mean, mothers are mothers. If your kid is 30 or 13 or 3, yeah. losing them is something you'll never get over with.
0: Well, we talk a lot on the podcast when we're covering cases. Uh, if we're covering a true crime case, uh, how important it is to say the names because everybody yeah. can name the serial killers, and right, but
2: nobody can name their victims, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And yet, those are the ones who you have that lasting impact. You have the families that never recover.
2: They don't, and people stop. You know, like I said, if you're or missing, unsolved, missing. You know, the, fa- the mm-hmm. phone's ringing for a lot for, a fr- and then it just stops ringing. Yeah, and nobody's around. I've looked into the dead eyes of a mother of missing. Long-term children, mm. you know. I missed. I looked into. I, I met Misty copsey's mother, who begged, like, "Can you help me find my daughter?" Oh. She just recently passed away. Yeah, but yeah, and it's like, uh, you know. So, I mean, those are. It's just they're, they're dead eyes, and they yeah. are because that's all. You don't even, it, The only thing, I, and I talked at a an event. This was a, a barrel of laughs. Talks at an event for parents of missing and murdered children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And but anyway, and one of the things I said about one of the things I said is if your child is murdered, it's devastating. The worst thing that ever happened to you. The only thing that's worse than that is not knowing. It's
0: not knowing. Not knowing who
2: did it or where she is or he is mm-hmm. and what happened to them. They were there one day, they're gone. That's the only thing worse than having your child murdered, is not knowing what happened to them. And so and then people came up to me, they all said, That's exactly right, you know. So people gotta remember that. Say, you gotta remember the victims and the victims' families who will never get to their secondary. In my first book, I, I dedicate to the forgotten victims of homicide, the loved ones and family left behind. Because mm-hmm. they're just as much victims as the person who's dead. So mm-hmm. people got to remember them. Yeah. Uh,
0: now, he is still alive.
2: He is, yeah. He was at Walla Walla when I wrote the book, but I heard he's at Monroe now.
0: Yeah, I, I looked it up out of curiosity, and, and yeah. he's at Monroe currently. Uh, did you have any contact with him when you were writing? or?
2: I did not, only because I knew... Couple of detectives working cold cases like those bodies I was telling you about. Yeah, yeah. Didn't know anything about him, and I told mm-hmm. them about him, and I and they were gonna they were thinking about going to talk to him, and I didn't want to put myself in the middle of that. You know, I'll just let them do it. Right, right, right. I had no contact with him at all. Okay, okay. But again, this isn't about him; it's about his victims.
0: It's about his victims, yeah, right. and then chronicling their story and the right, family. Exactly. Uh, now, are there uh, any? Other cases, like you do a lot of the work on on the the cold cases, obviously, but solved or unsolved that you find particularly interesting, possibly something you might write a, a future book on.
2: Well, you know, yeah, I do have people that calling me about all these cases. There's a couple of there's a couple of other serial murder cases from Seattle around that time, mm-hmm. uh, from actually in Seattle. Um, David Kennedy is one of them. I think it's David. My mind just blanked. And the other. Uh, can't remember the other guy's name. He was killing kids in West Seattle, but uh, oh, I yeah. think
0: I know who you're talking about. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah.
2: So he, anyway, those two, and then well, I have a a friend who's a forensic psychiatrist out of Scottsdale, Arizona, and he just approached me. He writes textbooks, but he wants mm. to write a he writes he wants to write a true crime book. Mm-hmm but have it from my perspective as a detective and his as a psychiatrist. Oh. And we have a, another friend who's a DNA expert down in California. So the three of us are going to collaborate on a book. It's going to be the true crime genre. It's not going to be a textbook. Mm-hmm. It'll be written like a true crime book, but with different perspectives, the perspective of a psychiatrist that does this. This guy actually, this guy uh, consulted on the Ted Bundy case, mm-hmm. on Gary Ridgway, mm-hmm. on the Atlanta child murders mm-hmm. and others around the country. So um, anyway, he's uh, he, asked, he, he approached me with that idea and i said yeah we can do that so <laughs> he he sells a lot of he, i wrote it one several years ago he wrote a book a textbook and it, he wanted me to write the forward to it so i did and i had to buy it for 120 bucks it's a textbook <laughs> <laughs> yeah they don't give but, those away <laughs> yeah, i know that's a thing so yeah it was like geez but uh yeah psychiatric criminology is the name of the book but anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> So uh, that's 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 probably what I'm going to do next. Since I was going to go some different route on one of these cases I'm talking about, but but uh, I think because he wants to do that, we're going to go that route.
0: But, I mean, that's that's the kind of thing I like to read because I I'm a person who will buy some of those textbooks uh, or try to get them from the library because again, right, yeah, they they're expensive. They're yeah, expensive. Yeah, they're expensive.
2: I noticed that I, I saw that that one there. The price is down to like. Uh, 70 bucks or 60 bucks now but <laughs> That's it's still expensive yeah. <laughs> yeah of which the author of a textbook gets about 10 bucks you know? I was That's gonna a- say yes he's
0: next to nothing of it I'm yeah, sure exactly. yeah. but it's it's you know as as a person who who covers cases who has a podcast who does I do tours and lectures and right. stuff mostly from the historical side but I also feel like it's important to understand all right. the different components right yeah uh, so I'll, that that's pretty cool. I'm gonna have to look out for that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Seattle's forgotten serial killer Gary Jean Grant is out now, available it for is, purchase.
2: Yeah. It is, yeah. Uh, it's in bookstores. I. It was at Costco, my Costco for a while, but they sold out and then oh. they and sold out again. So <laughs> it wasn't there the other day when I was there, but it's several Costco's in the area. That's uh, <laughs> that's great for you. Too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and then it's Barnes and Noble and Amazon and. Any place you buy books. Yeah, and uh, ArcadiaPress.com. Oh, wow. Okay. So (laughs) anywhere, anywhere. Anywhere you get a book is available. It. Uh, yeah.
0: It's fantastic. Uh, I, I read it. I recommend it. I'll probably, in our upcoming Creepy Critics Corner, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But uh, thank you so much for sure taking thing. The time to talk to me. And, and uh, again, I'm, I'm, we, we might be calling on you again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> read my book please. first, and then you got you've got cases. If you've had individual yes. cases you want to talk about, we'll do it. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Sure thing. Thanks.
1: was so interesting he sounds like way legit like I actually can I just say my favorite part of that interview really quick yes because please do we have a urine theme in our last few episodes (laughs) yeah that that has (laughs) been kind of (laughs) an inadvertent theme (laughs) well my favorite part was just how you know this guy's got a bunch of jars of piss and it's because he really just didn't feel like going upstairs. And your reaction was my favorite part. Yeah. It's hard. You know, it's hard going upstairs. It's hard.
0: It's hard. It is. It is. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, I will say I'm, I'm actually really excited to to get his other book to read because um, I love all the behind
1: the scenes. Oh stuff. Yeah. Uh, I really want to read this one now. I haven't read it, but I'm definitely maybe for my next creepy critics corner I'll mention it, but it looks rad and it's not very long, so i've pretty i could probably read it pretty quickly
0: It's a fast read, but it's it's full of a lot of really awesome information and again, like <laughs> it's it's really, really nuts to me that people don't talk about this case, yeah. Um, and that there's not anything
1: more on late internets about it. Was there any reason? Like I know you guys kind of talked a little bit about like how low-key this one is. Do you have any additional insight as to like why you think it's so unheard of?
0: Well, I, I think there's a combination of factors here. I think anytime you don't have uh any sort of long-drawn-out trial because somebody is. Um, I well, I mean, he 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 tried to go the insanity route, but I, you didn't have the level of media attention that you would like on the Ted Bundy. Um, Ted Bundy was the first televised, nationally televised trial, right? So everyone knew who he was. Everybody was watching. Like something like this, it was kind of another day of the week ending. And why? Like the the murders weren't initially connected, so we didn't have that word for serial killer. We're still years before they had that kind of term. Right. And, and the, the murders didn't, you know, it was two, two young women and then two little boys. Very different. But so the, the little boys, especially nobody was tying that to the other deaths. So sad. So it, very sad. Um, so I, I think they're, they're, part of it was just public consciousness. Like, uh, so much of this was what seemed like kind of um, isolated murders. You had murders happening in different jurisdictions, even right. though it was all Brenton area. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, well, and, and honestly, where there's, always is, where there's always existed to some level, I think a fascination with true crime, a fascination with serial killers, you only have to look back to Jack the Ripper, to, to really see that mm-hmm. uh, the level of commitment to true crime is something that is, is still quite modern. Um, I think there's a celebrity that happens with certain killers. And this wasn't one of those cases. He was a young man. He wasn't particularly charismatic. There wasn't news cameras anywhere. There wasn't a lot of press coverage. So
1: why would it stand out in anyone's minds? It's um, so interesting, though. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like I always assume that if there's ever, like, killings of any sort and it's ever investigated, there's some kind of documentation, some kind of, like, information that anyone can find about it at some, like, point in time, whether it's, like, as huge as Ted Bundy or as small as someone, like... I don't know. but it's, Not him it's, necessarily. See,
0: think about how many murders you hear on the nightly news and then think about how many of them you could trace past the one night you're hearing about it.
1: That's true. It's pretty frequent.
0: Like, I, I, I mean, I'm just thinking about, well, I, another good example. There's a, a case I've been looking into uh, that I want to cover for the podcast at some point. A uh, based around some murders that happened. Uh, <laughs> the story started of some a story my grandmother used to tell me, which was the caretaker of the Trinity Mine. Is this I'm how Washington. this all
1: started? Is this how baby Kim oh, turned God, no. into adult Kim? No,
0: no. <laughs> this is. But this is this is a story my grandmother used to tell about the caretaker of the Trinity Mine. One day, um, something happened, and he he murdered his wife and his family. Yikes! It was a story my brother and I always heard growing up, and my my uncle had, had talked about it. And It's only very, very recent that I was actually able to get a name, first of all, and get any details on the case. Wow. And I've been trying to do digging to cover it because it is still a really interesting case. It is not, there was no murdering with an ax. It didn't happen at the Trinity Mine. He was the caretaker of the Trinity Mine. Got it. But he he like shot his wife and beat his kid to death. Like it's horrible. Oh my God. But there's almost nothing about Mm -hmm. it. I found the initial press coverage back in the seventies from his arrest. And that was it. I've not been able to find anything about a trial. I haven't found anything. I think I know where the guy currently lives. We're not going to get into that. Uh, (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's him. Um, Oh my God, Kim. (laughs) What? (laughs) That wasn't hard to figure out. (laughs) Listen, people. Stop putting your shit on the internet. That's all I got to say. Fair. Very fair point. Uh, That wasn't me doing any kind of digging beyond Google, and I figured it out. Thanks, Googs. So any of you who are like, OMG, um, look yourself up and see how long it takes you to find an address associated with yourself. It's not going to be that hard. Just saying.
1: And that's the creepiest part of this episode. (laughs) I'm not, it's, it was Google.
0: It's Google. No, I, I, I'm not telling you the guy's name. I'm not telling you where I think he lives. But uh, it was not hard to get that information.
1: <laughs> but you are a good researcher and I will give you that. So I am a good researcher, but again, not super hard to find was, though. This was just, just Google. This was not
0: me doing any of my other special. I wasn't trying. I didn't go to any outside sources outside
1: of Google. The Googs. Legoog <gasps> Well, so. uh, this was really interesting. I'm really curious to hear about any of the other cases he was on and maybe even have him on for a future episode. Because... Which
0: which it sounded like he was game too. Yeah, so. you guys
1: had a great time. I had just really had enjoyed listening to that.
0: <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was it, he's really interesting to talk to, and uh I I really do appreciate him taking the time yeah. to super cool. Us. He's, that is the sound of Kim's wine. That is not mm. urine in a cup. <laughs> no, that's Kim pouring <laughs> my wine.
1: We're having my headphones. <laughs> you
0: and I—we're having a good time right now. Oh,
1: so good. All right, <laughs> and this brings us to creepy critics corner. Creepy critics corner. Ken, yeah what you
0: watching um okay so part of this is your fault because the show evil came out on Netflix it's so and good. Gabby yeah no I can't stop watching like I stayed up too late last night because I was like just one more episode just one more episode
1: that's how you know it's good
0: it's real good friends and it's it's streaming now on Netflix uh it's what the it's like 10 episodes I think yeah it's, it's, it's not, not super long it's not super long. I'm already up to episode like seven, so Dang. this isn't gonna this isn't gonna take me long. Uh, it was really really interesting, and and I love. I think my favorite character is Ben, mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: because because it's you because he's me. He is he is me. He's he's just like debunk debunk debunk. That's bunk, and I love it so much. <laughs> I told you about him. I was like, Kim, you you're in this show, but yeah. you're a dude. No, I, I, he, he won me over. I really enjoy him. Uh, it's just the whole cast is, is great. And, and the storytelling's really compelling. And even though it's using a kind of case of the week, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever been so invested partially because you are trying to figure out, is this legit or is this something we can debunk? Yep. So it's, it's all of my buttons. I knew it. No, it's, I, I'm very glad I started watching it. Uh, so I, I've been watching that. I also watched a movie, also on Netflix, called Vampires Versus the Bronx. Oh my gosh, that sounds interesting. I don't think I've seen that one on there yet. It's pretty new. It just came out, I think it just came out over the weekend. Well, what would I say over the weekend at this point? By the time this airs, it'll be...
1: Like a week later.
0: Like a week later. Um but it's it's super cute. It's about this group of, like, young teens and live in the Bronx. And they're trying to save their local bodega. And there's all of this real estate development that's happening in the Bronx. And they become convinced that the real estate company is being run by vampires. Cool. And it's it has this... There's a part of me that really felt this kind of, like, 80s, 90s vibe of this... Uh, kind of like Goonies feel of, you know, these mischievous teens who are getting into, getting into some, and in, getting into trouble and nobody believes them. And, and it was, it was just fun. It was really sweet, really cute. Uh The kind of thing you could watch with like your tween and, or young teenager, and they'd probably get a kick out of it. It's, it's not gory. It's not graphic. Um it, it's vampires, you know, but but it, it's really a good time. So i I just really enjoyed it.
1: That's awesome. I'll have to look into yeah. that one. That sounds yeah. Cute. It,
0: it's Terrence could handle it. It's not scary <laughs> at all. It's well, let's face it. Terrence can't handle a lot of no. things. No, um, <laughs> I'm laughing. Poor, I say that poor with BB. I say that with love, but he has he has a weak little heart. He does. Uh, it's something that it's it, it, it's very much geared towards. Well, not just younger, but it's 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 younger approved. It's younger safe. Yeah. It's younger safe. Yeah. Uh, I got you. You got me. Yeah. It, it, it's it's very very cute, and and it was just a really fun watch. What about you? What you been watching?
1: So I've been watching something for not Creepy Critics Corner intentionally, but fully ended up being a Creepy Critics Corner because <laughs> it makes you question what the hell we're all doing on social media. Um, the Bachelor. Oh. I mean, no, I won't watch that. I I okay. draw, Even a line, line I draw <laughs> the line of trash TV at 90 Day Fiance. Sure. <laughs> um, sure. But I watched The Social Dilemma, and that is on Netflix. Mm, and okay. holy crap. Speaking of Google, knowing hmm. everything, it's wild to see how many people that have been really high up in companies like Google and Facebook – And Instagram, like, be able to speak to how corrupt a lot of the social media land is and how Mm. it's used for adverse purposes that people never intended it to be used. Mm -hmm. Like, people came up with that. It reminds me of, like, superhero movies where there's, like, one key thing. Like, (laughs) actually... Let me be more specific. This reminds me (laughs) of Lord of the Rings where you have the ring that can do really awful things, but someone has to protect it. So it won't, or it needs to be destroyed. The internet is the ring in Lord of the Rings. If you catch my drift, you should watch the social dilemma because it's wild. You're going to want to delete your social media, your Facebook, your Instagram, all of it.
0: Does does that make Al Gore Frodo since he invented the internet?
1: I don't think so necessarily because I don't think Al Gore's trying to protect it. No, but <laughs> he's trying me. to tell us an inconvenient truth. That's true, but that's not the internet. That's like nature and how Is we're just he like, like- Then He's like, Ugh, too many, too many analogies, man. My Sorry. brain can't process all the names. Am I am I, of am, of I am I am I nerding just a little just too a much for you? Okay, but that's the other thing I've been watching is Lord of the Rings because uh, my now fiance is making me watch all the extended cuts of every Lord of the Rings movie known to man, and I can't watch them all in one sitting because my brain will explode. No one should I mean I did once, but no <laughs> one should watch them all in one sitting. That's how I know no one should
0: do it because you did it. Because I did it. I think I peed some. Like, I stopped to pee. What's with all the urine, man? How do we... Everything <laughs> comes back to urine. How did that happen? Gabby, how did we get here? Oh, no. How did, how did the circle of life lead us here? The circle of pee. <gasps> Can move uh, actually, no. No. Okay. There's a South Park episode <laughs> where uh, Mr. Hanky sings to his wee little... Mini poo? I don't know. His poo child? What do you... mm. (laughs) Uh, And he sings, it's the circle of... It's like it's the circle of poo or something. He's telling them all about how they're part of the... Uh, It's uh, the poo of the antelopes. The... No, have you not? I have not, no. I'm going to find it and send to you. All right, that's not part of our creepy critics corner, people. No, (laughs) but you started seeing Circle of P and I couldn't help but say, actually, South Park did something along these lines. I'm not surprised
1: at all. You're welcome, everyone at home. Thank you. Oh. But yeah, I haven't been doing that much of watching of TV because I have been busy with all the other things. Fianced. Getting fianced and I'm aggressively planning a wedding a week oh, after yeah, getting engaged and also editing. Yeah, girl, you wasted their time. When, <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, my creepy critics corner is a little bit light this week. So it's I was fine. trying to give everybody a heads up that since we're doing like episodes on a weekly, our creepy critics corner is going to be more and more slim because all of our time is being used. Well, <laughs>
0: except I still have to stick up with my 100 days of horror. So, so Kim
1: is going to give you all the creepy critics corners. Mm. Anywho... Anywho, thanks for listening, guys. We hope yeah. that uh, you enjoyed this new type of episode. Who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. we'll have more episodes with interviews in the future because it's a fun way to you know kind of chop things up a bit, switch it, Mix up. it up, talk yeah. a little bit about true crime, and maybe leave the ghosts behind on this one. Well, and, and getting some other perspectives, I think, yeah. is always
0: valuable because you all listen to you know me and Gabby talk all the time, and it's uh, what we do is what we do. But it's it's nice to hear from somebody who is is out investigating things and doing the research of the old crimes and yeah.
1: For sure. So Having said that, check us out on social media. We have Instagram, and I told you to delete yours. Don't delete it before going to follow us. Um, <laughs> go to okay. Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast on Instagram. We also have our ghoulishtendencies.com website that's going to mm-hmm. have all of our sources, references, uh, actual full length episodes, and you know areas for you to message us if you'd like to a little history of us as well in case you're curious we also have a facebook page which is ghoulish tendencies podcast we have a patreon patreon has so many fun things for you to participate in we're actually fun fact releasing more content on patreon this week it's going to have additional bloopers which i don't know (laughs) if you like a good blooper moment or not but if you thought that we left all of our bloopers into our podcasts you are wrong because there's so many that are on patreon that are just is it just me
0: asking if the lambs are still screaming and making (laughs) that
1: sound no not all of it but that's a good that's a really good little you know little dangle for you to Mm -hmm. see what's on the patreon so our patreon is ghoulish tendencies and find us on there to see if you would like to donate help us help you get you the content that you love and some fun things in the mail and extra content on there We also have a Twitter account, which is Google Mm -hmm. Podcast, and uh, we'd like to wish you a happy October. Yes. Welcome to the spookiest time of the year, and thanks for listening. Stay spooky.